Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 44 of the How We See Things podcast. Um, if you're wondering why you haven't heard from us in a while, let's just yeah. chuck it up to let's just chuck it up to the life. universe and the times and yeah. life and stuff yeah. like that happening. Exactly. Um, it was like, Dan, how, how you doing? I'm good, bro. I'm good. Um, yeah, I think it's been nice to actually have a bit of a, I mean, midsummer break, we could call it. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so yeah, we're we're kind of it's preseason time. Um, Dan, Dan was just telling me how he's happy that Chelsea won some friendly <laughs> trophy in the US. The 2023 um, Premier League Summer Series. Please get the name right. Yeah, very. Yeah, very but you know we, we've been we've been away for a while, so I guess we can just jump right into things. Yeah. Um, I think I think some of some of the stuff we want to talk about today, I would argue, is in keeping with the general theme of our time. Which is that, like, you know, they, they say, like, history goes in cycles, and we've been through a long period of, like, stability and peace. But yeah. kind of, like, kicking off with, like, COVID and everything, the world has just been thrown into turmoil. And it's been one issue after the other that has global um, ramifications. Yeah. And these things, you know, have been confined to, they've touched the world globally, but, you know, it's happened largely in the West, maybe in the Middle East as well. But now, you know, is Africa's time to shine. Yeah. And within the space of the last few months, there um, have been coups in three African countries. Yep. Um, Burkina Faso, Mali, and and most recently, most recently, Niger. Um, This, for our listeners, is on the back of a hotly contested election in nigeria um so let's keep let's keep politics in our mind as we talk about all these things and the interests of nigeria as a nation stability in the region etc etc um now not much is known about like the nature of these like coups or kind of like maybe um the motivations i guess like of the coup plotters it seems to be the generic um the generic army taking over a civilian government type of situation. But it's spread quickly. Yeah. And, you know, other uh, members of ECOWAS, that's the, you know, um, kind of like the main leading body of um, West African countries, essentially, um, met in Abuja to discuss the issue. Um, then, like, what, what are your, like, immediate, I guess, like, reactions to what's going on? I mean, it's it's quite interesting. So, you know, you talk about kind of this number of uh, coups that have happened in uh, West Africa. And you mentioned the countries, Burkina Faso, which is, um, you know, probably of the three um, countries, the most circularized, should you say, of the three. Mm. So if you, if you look at it from the point of view of Mali and Niger Republic, quite, if not um, um, kind of uh, religious states, kind of obviously on, on the back of Islam, is very much ideologically driven that way, um, especially in the northern part of the country, so or the Sahel um, region. So I think mm. there's obviously some ethnic, ethno-religious, and I say that to give kind of some ethno-religious background to it, As obviously Mali, um, similar, if a bit further out um, from um, the kind of Sahel um, part of things. But yeah, I, I think that common denominator is 
another generation of Africans in West Africa who are <laughs> tired mm. of mismanagement, corruption. Um, you may or may not have seen this video of the Niger foreign, uh, finance minister. Um, I'm not actually sure if that was a finance minister because I've seen an image of him. Um, he seems a few shades lighter than this individual. However, the video purports to be that of the um, Niger finance minister who's been given 48 hours. His time must be nearly up um, from when I saw that video anyway, um, to, to account for the country's finances, which for any African finance minister um, who's not been keeping an eye on the ledger is a very difficult task to do. So I think there's been, a, if you look at the, I think Burkina Faso has had two coups um, in the last um, eight months or so. Um, yeah. And and for me, the Sahel is an interesting region because we're obviously talking about Francophone influence um, in that part of the world. How does that relate to Nigeria? Obviously, Nigeria used to be and should is nominally still known as kind of the head of ECOWAS. So for those mm-hmm. who don't know, there's an economic... Yeah, they, they met in Abuja. ...community, you know, um, kind of how, I guess, the EEC used to be to the EU before they actually became a fully-fledged fiscal, socialised, customary union. Um, ECOWAS has remained purely at the financial level, would say. Um, obviously... Um, because of the youth of the countries in those areas post-colonialism, the military side of things was very important in terms of stability. So when you have young countries <laughs> with lots of ethnic groups pushed together, naturally, there's just that you have dis- you have dissension, you have the lack of homogeneity. It leads to I wanna, conflict. I want to challenge you a bit on, on some of the stuff you've said now and something you've said yeah. in the past. If you remember when we were having the conversation about LGBTQ issues in Ghana and uh-huh. kind of like sub- sovereignty for, you know, a nation and people within themselves to decide their future and all the likes. Some of the junta leaders basically in these countries that carried out um, coups have used the same rhetoric of um, ECOWAS people, Westerners, stay out of our business. This is the people carrying out self-determination. You uh-huh. also have alluded to some underlying socioeconomic factors like hunger, poverty, and the likes that would cause everyday um, Malians or people from Burkina Faso or Nigerians to, you know, riot in the streets and burn stuff down and kind of like loot and like that stuff that would give it a class kind of flavor. Whereas it's powerful people essentially um, who, you know, who are looking out for their, for their self-interest. Now, now we've run into the limitation of the rhetoric of sovereignty and self-determination because essentially ECOWAS has come in, outsiders have come in and said, hey, stop this, otherwise we'll be forced to send in our troops. Like we instead this ousted president, otherwise we'll be forced to send in our troops basically to take it down. Do you recognize that that tension or do the people in Niger have to wait for some kind of Batman from within to save them? There is that tension because obviously what you're talking about is about, you know, the self-determination rights that every national um, sized state, right? So I say that carefully thinking about you have countries where, you know, there's 20,000 of a particular ethnic group and they form a country. So um, to 
you know, vast ethnic groups such as the Kurds, who number in the tens of millions, who do not have a state. Um, so every group, should I say, and it's, this is enshrined in international law, we're not kind of opining here. This is international law. There is a right to self-determination. Um, go look at League of Nations, 1934. Go do your history. <laughs> we're not going to give you a history lesson here. So the, the right of self-determination is enshrined. Now, when you think about things like ECOWAS and what we call external involvement, there's obviously sometimes a need for more experienced, quote-unquote, or um, a, a regional or more supernatural, supranatural, not supernatural, there's mm. a difference, um, overview. So in this case, if you look at it, it's basically Nigeria giving some advice to for example let's use book uh, niger because no, but, but it's but but it's not advice now it's, 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 it's the threat of it's, yeah. it's the threat of economic sanctions and, and military action yeah so like i said via the u.s in concert not, sure. not via the u.s directly i i think there was a meeting um that Tinubu and somebody else had with somebody from um niger no, no, Kamala Harris called Tinubu and oh, right. framed it and framed it as part of like a. I'm Welcome just calling to, to check on, yeah, this thing. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that conversation involved some type of diplomatic. Yeah, so I think you know, um, okay. um, discussions. Yeah, the nature of world politics requires that you go from national to regional to then when you start getting to the UN. So I think if you look at regional, ECOWAS is there. Nigeria is the de facto regional leader for Western Africa. And if you look at what ECOWAS has done previously, Nigeria has been involved in um, peacekeeping, quote-unquote. Yes, yeah. If you look at Sierra Leone, um, very notably, even in Ghana, many people don't know this, in the 70s, um, even in Togo, places like that. So... I think from the point of view, there is a tension, to answer your question. There is a tension insofar as you could argue that Niger should be allowed to sort out its own problems internally. However, the problem with these kind of internal issues is that they never stay to the countries. This is why you always have a regional phase approach. So um, Nigeria has to do, firstly, Nigeria shares borders with Niger, some of them quite porous. So you have to think that from a practical point of view, any kind of spillage fighting Mm-hmm. Refugees. This is just natural, logical progression. There'll be mothers, children's, fathers, elderly who lose their homes as a result who are escaping violence. They will go to the closest safe region, which for those who share a border with Nigeria will be Nigeria. Nigeria is already in a dire economic state. Does it want to wait until they're refugees? So Nigeria could argue it's being proactive in trying to quell any issues now. Yeah, so sanctions. like there's 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 the refugee question definitely there's the because we share a border with Niger there's the Boko Haram Islamic militancy yeah, fighting yeah. question um you know as well the financial one is a bit yeah is morally a bit questionable so the, this is this your question on sanctioning I always feel like with sanctions um at what point are you resolving the issue versus creating further issues for said country. No, it, it goes to your point of self-determination now, because I think the way I see it, I'm, most people like to skirt around the topic, 
um, what often the argument you get against sanctions is that sanctions often end up hurting the working class people, the common man. Uh, most of the time, the real people who are evils, who are, you know, the corrupt people are so wealthy that they're basically insulated from the effects of sanctions. Um, and so depending on the type of sanction, I guess. Um, and so most of the time, sanctions end up hurting, hurting the working class. That's like, I, I would say, is a limit of this self-determination because the idea being that, oh, if these people feel enough pain, they would take democratic action to steer themselves in the right direction to get rid of the sanctions. But often, because the people in charge are insulated from the effects of the sanctions, it, it ends up dragging... It, it, it only ends up hurting them. Woman and man um, as well. No, I get your point 100%. And I think that's where sanctions shouldn't be... I think should be targeted. I, I think we will agree here that they should be crafted and they're not always, that's the truth. They're not always mm. crafted in a way where they affect those. Cause you know, it's like we talk about um, elites in, in any country. They often have means to get out of the country. They often have means to survive life on a day-to-day basis without relying on things like minimum wage or private or even healthcare systems within their country. They have means to be able to go abroad, wherever that might be and get whatever they need. So in the context of Niger, for example, like you're saying, um, I'm sure the very rich Nigerian political elite can just, you know, their kids are probably already in school in Paris or um, Sorbonne or Marseille or Toulouse um, yeah. or Basel or um, Amsterdam, you know, or, or even the UK. So they're probably firstly got lots of money saved up in you know, accounts in certain <laughs> um, non-tax mm. entities. So like you're saying, who are you really hurting with the sanctions? I think yeah. from the looking at Nigeria's point of view, threatening those sanctions is to kind of, in a way, you're using a double-edged sword. So you're saying to the Niger leadership um, elite, as it were, if we make things difficult for your people, they will force you out um, and you'll just make the situation worse. No, difficult, difficult for you too, because unlike, unlike with Russia, you know, where they can just sell their oil to China and, um, these, these countries have less leverage. And I think part of what makes the, not part of what I think, an essential thing that makes the stakes higher for these African countries, especially, is that these are legacy French colonies. And as we all know about the French, they, they they, they don't let go of their colonial interests very easily. And so what you've had happen in these countries where these coups have taken place is that there have been targeted attacks at the French embassy. Yeah. Um, and then there's an One open was, embrace. Uh, One was yeah. earlier today, was it? Or was it yesterday? Yeah. Uh, and there's an, there's an open embrace of Russia and Putin in all, in all these three countries that coups have taken place. They yeah. have explicitly like the narrative, the energy there has shifted from, France to an explicit pro-Putin, pro-Russia stance. Um, And so you see Russia making some of like significant inroads basically into African countries and doing so by destabilizing those countries. A famous imperialist like tactic, a tactic that has been used by the United Kingdom, by America in South American countries, in Asian countries as well. It's a tried and tested tactic by imperial powers to, if you want to get rid of one imperial power, start a, a coup locally. You understand? Get rid of the local people in support of 
the opposing imperial power and install your own people there. Yeah. Um, so the Wagner group, Prijogin, uh, our friend Prijogin. Yeah, he's is, turned up. <laughs> yeah, he's turned up, you know, encouraging the people. And that's why I think, like I said, that's why I think Kamala Harris was on the phone with um, Tinubu. So the US, the UK, the Western countries have to step up. Because like right now, I think in Africa, largely, a lot of the diplomatic efforts is coming, not as diplomatic, economic support, military support is coming from China and Russia. Many African leaders are openly, like are expressing open yeah, disdain yeah. for yeah. open disdain for the West, open disdain for, you know, Western. And when I say Western, I mean UK, EU, aside from Russia and America. Yeah. And uh, openly embracing, like, you know, China, Russia, like, hey, these people are doing stuff um, for me. Now, let's be clear that some of these, you know, in my opinion, the, some of the, like, a, a part of the reason why these countries embrace Russia, China, and the likes is because those countries don't hold you to a high standard in terms of, like, integrity or anti-corruption or stuff like yeah, that. Which are obviously fact, issues, you know. On, in on, fact, on, in many yeah. ways, they, they facilitate it. Um, and so France is releasing statements saying they will do whatever they need to do to protect their interests in, in you know, in West Africa. We could end up seeing a situation where the conflict we have, like, basically another world war conflict because Russia is making threats um, against Poland, um, you know, yeah. right now. Everybody has their eye on on Taiwan. Basically, every U.S. person running for president has to say what they would do if China were to invade um, Taiwan. And now you have skirmishes in African countries that directly implicate imperial powers: France, the U.S., um, yeah. Russia. Do you think? Do you think we might be heading towards um, slowly but surely heading towards a great, you know, world conflict? Like the likes yeah, of our grandparents lived through. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the the historian in me says, you know, that those those are all certainly red flags. Um, we've definitely gone past the amber flag point, I think. Um, and the reason why I would say, under normal circumstances, i.e., there was no major ongoing war, I would say these are all amber flags. These are all kind of again, the chess pieces arranging themselves on a chessboard. It's the Ukraine conflict that is really the wild card here because you have to think, we've spoken previously on this pod about how much it costs Russia per day <laughs> to engage mm. this war. Um, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. So if you don't believe us, do your Googles. Um, so one has to wonder from a resource point of view, how much does Russia left, have left in the tank? Um Ukraine is currently pushing a counter-offensive at the moment, um, which seems to be gaining some ground. From a political point of view, you have political actors such as Putin, leadership in Moscow, um, ideological partners in China, um, in North Korea. Um, You mentioned the tension in the Taiwan Strait. So there's definitely... Sides being being with you know the the there's mention of Russian flag waving mentioned kind of into mm. the African Russia summit with um, representatives from countries that feel alienated by their colonial masters seem more of themselves 
I think it's about benefit, isn't it? Because if you look at it, Russia has been kind of giving out subsidized grain to some of these countries as well in West Africa. So I mean, they, they've been explicit. They've been explicit that part of one one of the Russia intends to explore some 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 areas that they have leverage in to put pressure on the world. One yeah. way is through the energy prices affecting Europe. Europe has weathered that storm largely. You know, even though it's causing lots of strife internally in the UK and other countries, <laughs> another another um, leverage that they have is through food supply because a yeah. lot of food supply comes from um, Ukraine. Ukraine. If they can Ukraine. frustrate, Ukraine. yeah, yeah, they can know. frustrate supply. Um, I mean, obviously, definitely personal, like you know, interest is here, and it's kind of unfortunate that at such a crucial time in the world, at such a an important time in the world. Yeah, Tinubu is our president. Is is that a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion? Do you, because because you, you don't want somebody with naivets. You want elder statesman. You want somebody respected, you know, locally. Somebody able to. This is just me throwing things out there. Um, no, no, I, again, we're very pragmatic, and I think mm. where we sometimes in the recent past we've sounded more ideological, maybe, and um, that's what elections are for, right? That's that's what the prospect of the future is for. It's for you to mm. dream big and to have these big ideas. But then there comes a time for actual governance. And I think in many ways, he's definitely an upgrade on his predecessor in terms of world issues. He's just more sagacious. He's more street smart. Um, you've talked about his diplomacy. No, we um, have no evidence to suggest of anything. You understand? I think maybe we're just, Tinubu is a more cosmopolitan person. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe but maybe I just like, no, no. I'm know. just talking about actual impressions. So, like, when okay. I heard the, his press, you know, Buhari speak versus Tinubu yeah. speak. Like, it's the just, it's high. just clear. You don't, you don't, we don't need to have, you know, I don't need to, <laughs> we don't need to have a test. You know, of of the 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 difference in IQ is fairly clear to see. Um, mm. and also I just think you know, Tinubu is just someone who we've spoken about this briefly before. He just gets how he gets how the West works, and in many ways, if you look at his machinery, you could someone like him place him in some you know um, kind of cosmopolitan American city. He could easily become a mayor, right? He's, he's just the kind of person, or like even the governor of the state. He just has mm. this idea of how to put machinery together, how to mm-hmm. use politics as a. And I will talk about his ministerial list. Um, putting in a shortened list of 28 ministers two days before the deadline, you know, so that you can't say well, he didn't put in a list, but then he holds back certain slots, keeps people happy, you know, he's got his allies in there on the lists, you know, he's got Wiki in there, we know what Wiki did for him, obviously. So you have this, he's that kind of person that he always gives the impression that though physically more frail, he's meant, his intellect is, is sharp. He, Tinubu is one of the least people that you would, on an international stage, would be outmaneuvered, right? Um, so he gives definitely that impression of someone who, who thinks ahead. So I think in terms of kind of international diplomacy required, he's probably one of the few <laughs> kind of current batch that you would actually say, okay, would keep Nigeria's interest. Now, this is the thing. How far does Nigeria's interest align with his personal interest? Mm. I think as so far as our security... Economic, obviously, he has his economic, massive economic interest in the country. He will want to protect that um, security, obviously, of his life, his family, and obviously the rest of the citizenry. So I think 
where Nigeria's interests remain to align with his, I can see that he would make those kind of calls that are needed. Um, I let, just me think, you, let, me, let me ask you a yeah. question. Unlike, unlike these francophone countries, do you think mm-hmm. Nigerian society is impervious to Russian influence? And by Russian influence, I mean the influence network, the tentacles, the money, the, the lavish gives, the weaponry, just the influence peddling that has gotten these francophone countries where they are. Do you think Nigeria is impervious to that? Or as in, um, and why? Uh, do you consider our loyalty to our colonial heritage, you understand, superior to whatever shift is, is brewing in the world? Everybody's getting tired or fed up of the West. Do you think that's, you know, has, has afflicted Nigeria just yet? Or are still okay. loyal? So, yeah, this might be controversial. Um, but <laughs> I actually think it comes down to the more... The British have a very different attitude to the French, generally. Um, mm. Where in British yeah, society... the French, the assholes, right? <laughs> well, I don't know what what do, <laughs> what do you want to call the the colonial British then if you're calling mm. the French assholes. Um, I guess one you can see and one you can't, which is worse, which is more insidious. Um, I think what the British have is a very strong sense of self preservation, um, a healthy dose of selfishness, and they are always aware of their vested interests. That's one thing with the British. Now, the French also care a lot about their interests. They protect their interests more than anyone. But in their system, and if you look at French society, um, you still have strata, right? So I think in the UK, and from my Anglophone kind of countries, you have, look at India, and I use India and Nigeria. Those are the two largest countries in the world, population-wise, who are, um, British uh, English speaking um, kind of colon- former colonies. Um, the US obviously, you know, got independent. But yeah, so if, if you look at those two, you very much will say there's still a caste system in both those countries. So you're talking about the elites. In India, you have a little caste system. In Nigeria, mm-hmm. more loosely so, but it's still there. So you have those who go to private schools versus, you know, those who never go into education. You have those who are seen as domestic helpers. And yeah, so you have different class system. The difference is that in the French system, it's more congealed below the elite and the bourgeoisie. There's not really much distinction. So therefore, you retain these timbers of kind of, that's why there's always a revolution. There's always the them versus an us tension in French. If mm. you notice in French society, you see Paris recently. That has spread to its colonies. So you have a very, you have that very thin elite again, and then there's always been this crunching of everyone else, and that lends itself more to a communism, egalitaire kind of of thinking. Because when everybody else at the bottom feels squeezed together, whereas in like Nigeria, there's always competition within even each strata. There are some who are always benefiting, right? So mm. even. Let's look at um, MC Oluomo, for example. He's technically working class, right? He he came from a particular level of society, but even there, he has enough vested interests to work against people of his own level, right? In like these French francophone, so that's not the anglophone. So I feel like in the anglophone societies, there's always divide and conquer. So that always negates this revolution kind of mm. thing because there's always someone who's benefiting, even at the bottom. There's always someone in that anglophone. This is just my kind of bird's eye. Yeah. 
the francophone side, I see it is more. There's more of a condensation, right, of of of, of the masses, and that ultimate ultimately leads itself. Those who know about communism, those who know about the ideals of socialism, when you allow a coalition to to grow between various strata, color, grace, creed. Um, as you see in France, for example, in the Banlieue, you have Algerian, French, Nigerian, Guinean, immigrants, sons of immigrants, daughters of immigrants coming together where there's not that kind of uh, tension of divide and conquer, per se, between themselves. Again, I'm not talking about bringing in a third party, um, mm. some sort of indentured in between both parties, but where you have that kind of, I feel like that lends itself more. And that's why you see in the Francophone colonial system, even in France itself, we saw the protests recently. It's very yeah, well, easy for that. It's not easier for that to less. The, the question, I think, is what does Russia have to offer that France doesn't? And if I, if I think about the narrative that Russia tries to sell to African countries... It's quote-unquote freedom, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's question of coach freedom. It's it's screw these your colonial masters. Who are they to tell you X Y Z? Look at them in their country. Men get married to men. Men turn to women. They are all smoking weed all the time. And like, so if you if you see some literal like, you know, some literal ads in that the Russia puts up for either military recruitment or anti-American ads, it's all cultural issues. Um, Black people get treated um, uh, poorly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and wh- why isn't that message essentially um, appealing to Nigeria in a way that it is to 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 the Francophone countries? I would argue is it's partly because Nigeria is less explicitly tied to our former colonial masters than these francophone countries who still use like the currency who still you know um have to ask their former people pictures, for everything yeah, yeah. no i think element of that cord was just strained it was loosened mm. between france and um western africa for example you know they're spending the cfa franc and all those countries still spend the franc um even though france itself no longer spends a franc and uses mm. so that's an explicit example of that kind of post-colonialism dependence. Um, some countries are in direct debt to France, and we're not talking about kind of investment debt or debt accrued from collaterals. We're talking about direct, we spent so much into your country, you have to pay us back. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that's probably, in terms of West Africa, that's very, very accurate. That's another good reason. I think my reasoning was more kind of, I was thinking more from a physical, like practical. No, yeah, it, it, it would definitely be harder to. Ideological. It, it would definitely be harder to lead a revolution in Nigeria than, than it would be in Francophone countries. That's the thing. Um, we're more capitalist in Nigeria. That's the bottom line. Like, you know, there's more focus on um, individual, uh, individualism. There's more focus on um, the country likes to give the impression that it's about okay, everyone's trying to prosper and everyone's trying to move mm. forward in their own um, way. So um, yeah, there's definitely that's definitely a factor as well for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's interesting times. Um, no, I mean, and, and you basically said that like you know, it's it's better that Tinubu is the person in charge at this point in time. 
Um, I don't know if I agree with you, but I don't know if I also disagree with that statement. Um, if someone were to say Tinubu, I, um, I, I would want to wait and see, but I would not reflexively disagree. Because if I look at the landscape of all the people who were competing um, you know, for, for the presidency, not looking at the landscape of Nigerians in general who have ever or are currently existing, people who were competing. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if I would disagree if somebody said Tinubu is the best person to lead us, but that's until he opens his mouth to talk in public. So whatever they're saying in their meeting, whatever idea he has in his head, whoever is advising him, all well and good. I don't know what kind of diplomatic legacy. I'm, I'm sure some exist because, as you mentioned, like with Ecomog and, and the likes, Nigeria has been involved in diplomatic efforts in West Africa. We we do, I think, fancy ourselves a sophisticated people. Um, I think, well, if we look at the American kind of disposition, by virtue of your economic might and your numerical supremacy and economic supremacy, you kind of have a duty, don't you, really, to kind of give back in terms of protecting the region, ensuring that fights don't break out, policing the region, so to speak. Because everyone says, oh, no, who are you to police? But the truth is that you always need someone to establish the rules. And by virtue, you can't claim to be the biggest or the giant of Africa <laughs> and not take on that role. And I think under, like, Obasanjo, um, previous president, former general Obasanjo, um, that was when Nigeria was most active. If I, if, if kind of, you know, if you look mm. at the recent history, I think when you had people like Yadwa, Goodluck, there was more focus on economic um, development. Um, and then, unfortunately, kind of <laughs> things have been rolled back in the last eight years or so under the um, previous administration. You know, that's 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 historic because, like, I mean, some, some of the factors that exist in those countries exist in Nigeria too. People are poor, people are hungry, there's ethnic conflict, there's you know, there's very inflammatory politics. Like, things supposedly were on, like, a, you know, knife's edge, like, in you know, the last election. But I, I don't think we, as a society, are as vulnerable to the type of, like, you know, Russian influence that will lead to a coup, to a coup as, as mm-hmm. some of these other countries are. Um, Although we have seen coups in Nigeria before, um, but I think you know, I think the, the lessons that were learned, I think the military has been successfully um, defenestrated. Although, although you know, there's this rogue agency called the DSS, and I've been meaning to to ask anybody who knows or who understands what is a DSS, what is a Department of, I don't know if the State Services or Secret Services. Usually, is, are they the FBI? Are they CIA? They're definitely not police. They can't be. They can't be a CIA or it's FBI type intelligence security agency. I think is the official. Yeah, DSS is is um yeah private police slash security slash government um kind of squad all rolled into one. It's yeah, yeah. It, it makes no sense. It's basically like it's basically like you know the King's Guard. From, from from Game of Thrones. It's basically like the the president's own or the executive's own armed forces essentially. Oh. That you know, so that when a court and, and again like Emifili, I I couldn't care less about what happens to Emifili. He's a rogue criminal clown like the rest of his the kingdom of his cohorts. But if a Nigerian court says Mr. Emifili <laughs> Yeah 
there is no absolutely no reason why a so-called Department of State, because essentially what they are saying is that Nigeria within itself is not functioning as a state per se. It's functioning as a fiefdom, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like with, with serfs and nobles, essentially, you know, and a king that rules over them all, who has his own, who has his own law. So the king's justice is what prevails basically in the land, not, yeah. not the courts. Um, and, you know, like when, when I was seeing everything happen to, to him, and, and it's, I guess, of, of a piece with the uh, ministerial list that Mr. Um, um, Aguado released, and just kind of like what's going on around the country, the impunity, I guess, that still um, prevails. You know, there's just about Chief Justice one day, another story another day about something else. Um, it's 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 seemingly like you know like a very terribly written soap opera. Yeah, I think you know, unfortunately, these were some of the issues that we had um, foreseen in terms of lack of accountability, um, a lack of respect for the division of powers. You know, traditionally, the executive doesn't mess with the judiciary; the judiciary lets the legislative legislative arm do its own thing, and legislature and executive, whilst they probably work closer together ensure that there's um, checks and balances in place to regulate each other. Um, and unfortunately, what you have to understand is <laughs> you have an individual who understands power. He understands how to wield power and how to ensure that there's a semblance of, oh, well, you we have these agencies in place, but what's the point if these <laughs> different arms of government are not allowed to work the way they should? And ultimately... If a court has issued an order, and this isn't the first time, and I think one thing with the, the thing about law is that there's a reason the visual representation of law is justice with a blindfold holding scales. Because what it's trying to tell you is that the law should apply equally to everyone, irrespective of how you look, which is why the, the justice is blind, um, how you sound, where you're from, your race, your creed, your religion. Let's, um, let, let's see if we still money. It's Justice Alito, someone Alito, who, if you listen to anything I've said in this podcast, you know I don't think highly of um, Alito or Clarence Thomas or anything. He said something. He said Congress has no business legislating the Supreme Court, basically arguing that the Supreme Court is out of the purview of the United States Congress and Congress cannot regulate, oversee, or whatever on the activities of the Supreme Court. In Israel, on the other hand, they just passed legislation saying that the Supreme Court doesn't have the final say on the law of the land. The politicians do. Um, so, in and obviously, in places like in, in places like China and places like Russia, you see it's it's only truly in America, UK, maybe Germany, some other parts of Europe where they've tried to establish this this idea of a judicial system that is completely sealed off from politics. And the only way to sustain that type of system is to, is, to, is to have rulings that align with popular consensus. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, all, all these tensions basically exist. Um, obviously, on, on, it should have some kind of political oversight on the courts because otherwise they could be vulnerable to whatever influence, you know, um, they are vulnerable to. So, like, in the case of the Alito and Christomos, they are basically captured by billionaires, you know, in um, in America, wealthy interests who keep this 
who keep these justices on, put them on private trips, um, um, you know, on private jets, yacht trips around the world to this fancy resort here to do whatever, and they file it under, you know, um, um, gifts or hospitality. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, like in, in a place like Nigeria, where you know we never we not even finished tying our shoelace, um, what, what would you expect from from our own um, judicial system? It was just kind of embarrassing to see you know DSS fighting with. Yeah, yeah and uh, I think that's another thing. There doesn't seem to be you know, and maybe we just need to educate ourselves actually. So we need to go and look at the hierarchy. I think that's probably homework from Statesman X and I to to actually look at. Let's go and learn the hierarchy. Because one other day I went to the no, hierarchy. you don't you don't need to learn the hierarchy for this one. The courts. No, no, no. I'm just saying. Is I'm what adjudicates. With, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just yeah. saying. I don't know if there's a unique. You know how Nigeria is. We don't no. know. There's no, some... no. There, there, there isn't. There isn't anything unique. Um, what 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 exists in Nigeria is the kind of jingbo that exists in many different parts of the country, where some basically, if you show up with a gun, yeah, you are you are, you are the winner. Yeah. I'm saying because you made a point. What is yes? Because actually, who is the MI5? Who is the internal? Because we know, I know now. I mean, this is where MI5 but, is intelligence service now. Yeah, that's right. What I'm I think DSS is intelligence. You don't I, see, you don't see MI5 going to go and arrest. They say, oh, one politician has one politician has done something. Is MI5 I, they will send? But what I'm trying to say is that we need. That's what I'm saying. Almost in a kind of like exasperation way i'm like okay do we need to actually because i i need to go and know who's the fbi equivalent who's the internal who's the external who are the intelligence services internally and externally like just nigeria has an intelligence service it's 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 integrated it's, it's under the umbrella of the army basically we have we are we are following the u.s system basically we have a navy we have an air force mm. we have the regular army and we have an intelligence service the DSS is, like I said, it is King's Guard. It is the, it is the, basically the 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 living representation of everything that is wrong with Nigerian society. It's one of such. There are many such living representations of what is wrong with Nigerian society, and the DSS is one of them. Now, I'll tell you. I want to tell you. We're going to say is that in some instances, because of the way Nigeria works, some local politician, some local governor. Some local state senator could be in control of the local police force in his state, or could have a gang of boys, basically, or something that would require, you know, the police in the states could be compromised. Because ordinarily, like like you were saying, MI5 in the UK, if a politician does something wrong, if he has broken a law, mm. it is the police, it is the That's government. True. The government prosecutes him. Now, depending on if your crime involves you know, um, state lines. If you cross state lines, or depending on the basis of your crime, it's the FBI that investigates you. Mm-hmm. If your crime involves U.S. intelligence secrets. That's what I'm trying to say. That's yeah, exactly what I'm driving at. Like, let's go, let me, act, okay, maybe myself, because I'm I'm just a nerd. I like to know things. So, that's why I meant. I probably didn't articulate it properly. But I want to know, and I want to go and find out, because through years of watching American TV, Obviously, watch British TV, vice versa. So we know the systems. Kind of European systems are similar when they portray them in TV shows and stuff. It's the same thing we know in that, Nigeria. Okay, for example, you know the German intelligence. We know where they start. We know where the CIA was like. Oh, I can't do this. We know that CIA seems to have the most like 
international, they, they do clandestine. So they sometimes step on the FBI's toes. We know where the FBI have to stop. And even where the Rangers, the park Rangers get involved. We know when it's like, if it's in Yellowstone, you know, it can't be, FBI can't come to Yellowstone. You know, so I'm just saying that that's probably for me to educate myself on. Okay, where are the actual parameters? Because I know in Nigeria, we don't have state police, for example. So all police are essentially deployed from the center. Federal. Yeah, but like, but like, it's it's the same structure as what I'm trying to explain to you. It's the same structure all over the world. There are some there are some fine differences as you alluded to with with in Nigeria. There's no state police, there's federal police. So the, that's like a fine difference. But the principle is the same. The police enforces the law domestically. The police are the domestic enforcers of the law. They are the agents of the states that everyday individuals like interacts with. Depending on the type of crime you commit, basically. As I said, if you if your crime causes state lines, there has to be a federal law enforcement, and that is the same in every country in the world. There is an arm of enforcement that is local police, and an arm of enforcement that is federal. Now, every sophisticated state also has intelligence services, definitely, because you want to know as as old as time if there has been spies, as long as there have been civilizations going as far back to the Mayans, the Aztecs, Bodudua, uh, Ajaka, or the Yoruba. Wherever you want to go back to, there have been spies, basically, which yeah, is basically yeah. what the intelligence um, service is. But you also have, in some rogue societies, you have brown shirts, like you did in Nazi society. Ooh. You have... No, you, in societies... <laughs> no, no, you, in, in societies, you often have... Exactly this of like, you don't want to talk about it, because when you have... You're, you're quite, you know... Again, student of history, you know what that implies is where you have a private force where there's lack of accountability generally or transparency in terms of Bro, security we, we, are, we are in the jungle it, it, it becomes yeah you have a vigilante essentially it becomes a vigilante and the problem with these kind of outfits you know CB3, B613 um, from Scandal um, famously mm. on ABC you know when there's no where there's no kind of lights in darkness, things just multiply and they become skewed and they grow up without light and they start doing things that they wouldn't be proud to do in public or they start doing things like, and if you notice, you know, outside the gu- the courts, you know, you see, I notice that some of these individuals have balaclavas wearing suits. So it's kind of giving that impression of, okay, like you said, you know, obviously we know intelligence agencies have to present themselves as corporate. That's part of the whole ruse of it. And then you're holding a gun and you're standing there. And there are police officers there, officers of the court, right? So let's, let's remember, police officers are sworn also officers of the court. So mm-hmm. their primary decision was to take this person into custody. And then you have essentially, like you said, um, appointed, because really these are individuals that are appointed. It's not like they are like members of the army, like you said, who have been trained and sworn in who have some sort of constitutional right. They're not military police because um, military police is a whole different thing as well. So, yeah, I think it's... Um... No, no, they're, they're, they are the political, you know, arm of, of law enforcement. And that's a terrible, dangerous thing to have because yeah. we saw yeah. we saw DSS Twitter handle tweeting at obedience or obedience or whatever they were saying. Um, they are tearing the shirt of, of you know, corrections officer in, in front of the court for everybody to see. There's a kind of, like, impunity that comes with, like, you know, we are, like, your life has little value. 
There's yeah. no, there, there isn't anything that binds all of us together as Nigerians. Some of us are above um, um, others. When the government wants to intimidate somebody like Shirore, for example, it's the DSS that comes to that comes to arrest him. Um, oh. If Shirore if is inciting or Namdikan or any of these people, it's DSS that comes to arrest you. I, 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 I try to explain to Nigerians, don't let anybody, and if any Nigerian here is listening, don't let anybody deceive you or fool you. These things are not rocket science. There, there's no mystery to self-governance for a society or the way, you know, um, political agencies or government or law enforcement agencies should work. If anybody has committed a crime, it's police that's supposed to investigate that crime. That is what the police is there for. Yeah. If yeah. the person is committing crime from one state to another state, then the Nigerian government has a way of finding them and tracking yeah, them. Yeah, I think it was even weird how them. his arrest was handled. I mean, it depends. DSS could have been involved in the arrest if it was kind of intelligence. I think I kind of... The arrest there is, is no caught. circumstance. Are, no, no, for, no, wait, wait, because he tried to escape, so he was caught at a land border. So it would have been it would have made sense for DSS officers to be present if they were tracking him for arguments. What is right? a DSS? Why is why is the DSS the one tracking him? What is what is the DSS? Is what I'm trying to ask you. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I I actually don't know, and that's what I'm saying. Like I don't. That's what I'm saying. Part of my okay, going to read their charter. Like what Mm. do you actually? What what are you mandated? Because as of now, I just know that they wear they wear suits. They have big guns. You know, they 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 be looking swanky. They have balaclavas sometimes. That's all I know. They have fancy jeeps. But in terms of his actual arrest, there's no reason why DSS should be the ones. He should be in a prison cell closest to wherever he was arrested. Is that not the way it works? If you it, want to transfer him to Abuja, fine. But what is what yeah. is his crime? First of Le- all, well, that's another interesting point. So apparently, no, no, so- his crime on paper is ammunition. Abi, yeah, it was in possess- possession of a firearm. Well, this is, is the thing. Oh, that, that I found that particularly interesting because. Um, my understanding was that it was something to do with political mis- malfeasance and mismanagement of the country's funds <laughs> would seem more or, or some sort of you know theft of, of of the monies. But apparently now it's a gun charge. <laughs> you know, it's... No, um, literally, yeah. again, Nigerians Even if you don't like Emefele, I think you made a very good point. Even if you don't like Emefele... You know, I saw that Abuki FX was very quick to post his arrest and rearrest. You know, they, mm. they took great joy. Abuki FX, for those who don't know, are a currency trader. Um, MFLA seriously dealt with <laughs> black market yeah. currency traders in Nigeria. It's big business, um, home and abroad, to be honest. Uh, re- remuneration of money to Nigeria is huge business. So they were, he particularly, you know, dealt with them during his time. So they were quite gleeful in his arrest. However, that is... Essentially, what it is, it's political retribution. Yeah, it is. Nigerians, it's not, don't don't let anybody don't let anybody fool you. President well, Tinubu thinks Nigerians you're stupid. Must, Nigerians must be careful. Just because you don't like someone, doesn't mean you should turn an eye when you see um, a miscarriage of justice or a misapplication um, of the rules of law or rules of engagement. Because you never know. Tomorrow it might be you. It might be someone you love. It might be someone. Today it's it's all jolly because it's a MFLA, you know, who we've said is no saint. Everyone agrees that. Um confusingly he was wearing Jalabia and holding the Bible, but Salabi, it is what it is. Bro, but it's a, it's, the whole country is a joke. It's, you, it's, a, it's a fucking joke. On someone that you care about. So just because 
it's someone you don't care about at the moment, don't let it just slide, you know? We must maintain and request that everybody is treated the same way under the law, under the systems, under these... No, we are really, really a fascinating... Are really fascinating people because that, that thing you just mentioned is just was just so like if you see the Bible that Timothy was carrying, big all this type of Bible that they used to put inside like like like, like library, it still had it still had the paper around it like as if you remove it from the paper first before you open it. And for those, Jalabia, or Jalabia is um is traditionally worn um to the mosque really that's that's and it's, it's kind of native to um. The Sahel and the Middle East, so it's it's. What was he planning to do with the Bible? Muslims worldwide, so I think maybe obviously he's lived in Abuja a long time. So let's you know, I have Jalabia. It doesn't no, mean even if him, even if he was just wearing it as part. What, what was he planning to do with the Bible? In I in think it's court? just for him. Okay, let's look at the psychology. Let's get into psychology of it. You know, the Bible, Christianity, holiness, purity. Is he trying to somehow argue his innocence? Argue his purity? No, he's definitely trying to. He's definitely trying to appeal to. Yeah, trying to appeal to a particular sensitivity in that he's a pious person. Like I can't speak to his personal relationship with God or not. So that is all. Again, feel free to debate that. But that was my reading of what he did. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a joking stuff. And like as you were saying, like just just because you know we don't like him, feel or whatever, do not be deceived. If somebody is found, if Carrying a firearm is is illegal in Nigeria. The people who are charged with enforcing the law and addressing that illegality is the police. Mm. There is no reason for DSA, unless it was a nuclear weapon, unless it was a nuclear gun, firearm that Emefile was carrying, and he was going to use that firearm to destroy the country. Or they have somehow knowledge that he was going to use the gun to shoot Tinubu or to shoot somebody or to shoot a bunch of people. And even then, there is regular law enforcement. He's not. Ebefele is a political prisoner, plain and simple. He he did not jump ship to the right ship on time. Obviously, Buhari cannot be touched. Maybe he was an maybe he was an authority unto his own self within you know um, CBN as he was acting on his own, and now he's facing the music basically for daring to oppose um, President Blabalu. Um, I mean, if you look at it, really, the CBM governor should be independent. I mean, obviously, it's become politicized in Nigeria, but really and truly, that role, you know, I'm trying to think of the <laughs> governor of the Bank of England. That's, we even had the Canadian take up the role, you know, lastly, Mark Kearney, for obscene amounts of money. We'll talk about that. Yeah. That's not pocket watch, but, you know, they are supposed to be your um, fiscal independence kind of guidance. And the whole idea is that they come in with an objective stance. They're not allied to one political party or the other. But however, in reality, obviously, Nigeria is a very different situation. But let's talk about politicization and the game of politics. Again, let's talk about this list. So President Tunubu has issued an initial 28-person list. Um, I was, you know, I just like to, in 2023, I like to see progress. I was looking at this list. I didn't see many women on it. Um, mm. that was my first observation and people would be like oh, do you really have, let's do with primary issues let's not focus on stuff like that say what you want about good luck good luck performed unfortunately one of the women <coughs> Dizani, um mm-hmm. fell his hand and stole hundreds of millions of, of dollars um, but I quite like that even from Obasanjo to even Yaradwa there was 
because you know Nigeria women are some of the most intelligent. Did you hear? Didn't you hear what Tinubu said about, about his wife? About his wife when who is a senator? He, announced, he, said, so, he said something about how uh, <laughs> he, he something about how how she would be performing in the bedroom, or she you know she would do yes. her job very well. In, in the other room. And I think like was it Buhari that was talking about the other room? Yeah, interesting. Mm. So, I mean, that just goes to show kind of their basic idea of, of what they think women can... I know Tunibu has worked with some very competent women in Lagos State, so that must... He knows they're competent. But I think Tunibu has so many competing things he's thinking about. Those that helped him get into power. Those that he owes favours to. Was Kwak also on that list? I, I I honestly I think I heard the weekend was on the list and I just kind of like shook my head at it. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, out. like it, it is it is what it is in the sense that like again we don't expect anything less. We don't expect these people to actually do anything to impact the lives of Nigerians. So, oh, I mean, these these ministerial positions are ostensibly policy yeah. positions. Yeah, yeah, appointing people who ostensibly have ideas specific sector expertise, you know, to come and address some of the issues. So Minister of Transportation, Minister of whatever, you are coming to affect the lives of Nigerians. But that's not what's happening. These are this is jobs for the boys. Is rewarding your political allies with life changing yeah. with access to life changing wealth. Um essentially. And again, like it's it's it would be an yeah. insult to my intelligence, your intelligence to discuss it in mm-hmm. any other way. Um, I see if there's some merits to it. Yeah, I'm just, just you know, just research again, and he's at 25% women, as opposed to a 35% target that he espoused for himself. I guess that's better than Buhari's 16%, but again, just shows that, mm. you know, there are many, many more competent women. And I, you know... I really like the idea of diversity and objectivity when choosing these things. And it's just such a shame that I think that was the biggest things that will be... No, but, but that's because they weren't choosing for... Yeah, no, this is the thing. It wasn't as was choosing for the job and choose only men. Yeah. There's so many people he has to settle, quote-unquote. So I understand... <sighs> you we understand why the list looks the way it is, but it's just unfortunate because someone like Peter will be... Because he didn't have as much vested interests would have been able to be obviously there's still people he would want to reward for sure people who stood by who also happen to be technically good in their areas but i'm sure then he would have been able to just pick people for their ability and their capacities so yeah it's um yeah unfortunate and um yeah i mean times are hard for the ordinary nigerian on the street and really i think there's talk of Palliatives being brought in that should. Have I been... saw something about how one pound is like a thousand naira or something. Now, one thousand one hundred and fifty actually. Yeah, um, basically, like so, like a thousand pounds is like one million naira. <laughs> it's ridiculous because I remember probably if we're looking about fifteen years ago, a pound was one hundred and twenty naira. Um, even as recently as five years ago. A pound was it was it was one fifty for it was one fifty for a while one fifty to three fifty for like the last um fifteen to to no seven or eight years and then it it was one fifty up until like even like Harry was still two fifty pounds yeah maybe one fifty dollars yeah it was it was up until like twenty thirteen 
yeah. don't know, like 2014, it's just doubled, tripled, and now which is um you just have to think about people on the street and it's you know education costs are rising we did this was go listen to our episode about the <laughs> the student loan um because mm. now what, what that's given is a license to increase fees i saw fees have gone up is it alchi um which is a state university Federal University, which is run by the government, which has gone from 45000 to 200000 um tuition, which is just ludicrous. Um, you know, how are people supposed to survive and make a living on that? It's, um, yeah. Huh. So, so it's it's definitely not an easy time for Nigerians. And, um, but, yeah, I mean, it shows the importance of leadership and who you vote in. Make 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 with the make with the scene now. Like I mean, I don't have any expectations for from Tinubu. Um and so like you know, I think he can only like nothing he can do can surprise, disappoint. He can only he can only impress me. And so far, not good at all. Um, so, yeah. but yeah, I mean, this is fun. Um, this was it was 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 a good chat. Um. Stay woke, stay aware of what's going on in our neighboring countries. We're gonna keep tabs on it for sure here. Yeah. Um it's where we it feels like we're kind of like, you know, frogs in a boiling pot. You know, they're saying about how uh, put a bunch of frogs there, turn the water up a little, little by little, they don't realize it's getting hot until they're completely burnt. Um hopefully that's not the story of our iteration of civilization. Um, we, we've 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 we're we're the most prosperous, most educated what the hell yeah. are you doing? What's Elon doing? You need Elon to Musk. You're local to him. You need to have a word. What is going on? Nah, man. We just observe. Like <laughs> we just observe. Like Elon Musk clearly believes his own hype. He's surrounded by yes men, people who can't tell him when he's being stupid. I, think, I thought it was conspiracy theories when they said he came in to kind of just rip apart what Twitter was, which is a liberal part from news firms. No. He was just—he was just stupid. Like he's just—he's just a, a a stupid person who has, you know, become radicalized by internet narratives. That's that's really it. He's a smart person who has been radicalized by internet narratives, and he's like gone. Like he's done. He's too far down the rabbit hole because the way these things work, they're kind of like they kind of have like you know rebounding effects. So the further right you go. Um, you know, the more people will try to correct you, the further you're um, secure in your position because any yeah. type of correction is part of the larger conspiracy, basically, by the left and media. Sure. So, And on that bombshell, do let yeah, us share comments on Twitter or X, as it's soon to be known, um, Instagram, um, and listen to this podcast on Spotify. Good luck see you on the next one. Where did you? <laughs> Damn, this is still recording now. Hmm? <laughs> Should I leave? Yeah, 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 it's still recording.
Yeah, I should leave, Abby. She will stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah.